Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see everybody today. And I want to start a series of messages. And uh, and in fact, I just wrote down the title like 15 seconds ago. Uh, We're going to call this How Faith Works. Uh, I I can say this because we're in Michigan, but faith kind of reminds me of going hunting. Now, you're sitting in your, your blind. You've got lanes cut in your woods or wherever you are. So when the deer walks in the lane, you pull the trigger. Now, he doesn't stay there and say, like, do you want to shoot me like this or like this? No, no, no. He's walking across. And when, when the time is there, you have to pull the trigger. Now, faith is like that locked and loaded gun. Right? You can have it. But if you never pull the trigger, if you never release it, right, you never receive the benefit. The Bible talks in Mark chapter five about a woman with an issue of blood. She heard about Jesus. She said, if I can just touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But she went and she touched that garment and released her faith. And there has to be a point where it's not, well, God is going to, but there has to be the point where it's no longer hope, which is future, what's going to happen. But we say right now, I receive. There's got to be that particular spot where your faith is released. Now, Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat its fruit or the fruit thereof. So the, the truth is that everybody eats their words. How many ever had somebody say, you're going to eat those words, right? Well, we all eat our words. Now the question is, are, are you going to eat some good words or some bad words? It's depending upon what you're speaking. Because both death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, it can be something as simple as uh, David, the, the shepherd who became king, is running from King Saul who's trying to kill him. And his, the king's son, Jonathan, goes and finds David in the Judean desert. And the Bible says that he went, he found him, and he spoke with him, and he encouraged him. You know, really words of encouragement can be like oxygen to the soul. We all need it, but words can do so much more than just encourage. In fact, in Joshua one in verse eight, it says this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, you and I are supposed to constantly be speaking about ourselves in our situation, what God says about us in our situation. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Now, you cannot be talking what God is saying about you in your situation if you don't know what God says about you in your situation. That's why you've got to be in his word and meditate in his word. In Luke chapter four, it says that Jesus went to his hometown, the town of Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue and it says there was delivered to him the book of the, or the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. 
and he opened it and he found the place where it is written. Now, Jesus said it like this, seek and you will find. Now, he is looking for a specific passage of scripture. And it is a specific passage that deals with him that particular day, in fact. So he knew it was there. He went and looked for it. He found it. He read it. And then this is what he said. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying today, this scripture is true about me. Now, that's what you and I need to do. We need to open the book. We need to find the place where it's written about us, about our situation, about our problem, about the valley that we're in. And we need to begin to say what God says about our situation. I think it's interesting that even in the first chapter of the Bible, the third verse in the Bible, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. How did God begin to use dominion? How did he use the, the, the supernatural power that he had by speaking words? But the thing of it is, is God expects you and I to do something that's a little similar to that. He expects us to begin to speak. In fact, in Romans chapter four, it says that God calls the things that be not as though they were. Now, years ago, we had a dog and I love this dog. It was the smartest dog on the planet. I would get home from work and the dog would be waiting in the garage and I would open the door and the dog would sit there and would smile and go. <coughs> and she just followed me around. This is a wonderful, wonderful dog. And Jeannie had a cat. I hated that cat. That cat would climb up on my green lawnmower and put all sorts of cat paws on it and scratch my green lawnmower. And I hated that cat. I really did. I, I know my dog's in heaven. I don't know about the cat, you know, I have a hard time with thinking about that. Uh, but anyway, anyway, uh, here's the interesting thing. I never one time called the cat. You say, why? I didn't want it. It was Jeannie's cat. I just put up with it because it was Jeannie's cat. But I called the dog. And when I called it, it was because it wasn't there yet. So God calls things that be not. And when he calls them, they come. Things come. And he calls what is not as though they were. So he says it before it happens. He calls it done. The children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. And God says, I've given it to you. And they went in and said, hey, there's a problem here. There's, there's seven nations, there's giants, there's walled cities. What is this you've given it to us? But before they had gone in and take possession, God already said, it's yours. I've given it to you. Now, here's what God did in Romans chapter four. He said to Abraham, I call things that be not as though they were. And I want you to call things that be not as though they were. His name is Abram which simply means a prince. But he changes his name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. Now he's 90 some years old and God changes his name to the father of a multitude. But the truth is 
He hasn't got any kids yet. So you can imagine him going to the market and then saying, hey, prince, how you doing? He says, no, 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 I'm not a prince. I, my, my name is the father of a multitude. And they're like, how many kids you got? None. And you are whole 99. And they're ready to send him to an institution. But he, when he began to say, begin to call, begin to speak what God said about him, something supernatural happened had a family. And literally God said to him, I want you to look up in the sky and see those stars. Can you number them? And he said, no. God said, you won't be able to number your children and look at the sands on the shore. Can you number them? He says, no. God says, neither will you be able to number your children. God gave him a picture and said, look at this. This is, this is what I want you to see your descendants. That's what they're going to be like. Now, God does something similar with you and me, and he gives us the Bible. And he says, here's who you are. Here's who, what I've given you. Here's who I've made you to be. Right? And he wants us to begin to speak what he says about us. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of of God. So you're literally the Bible was first a spoken thing. It proceeded from the mouth of God and then it was written and it's written so you can speak it. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. So you and I are supposed to constantly be saying about ourselves, be saying about the situations we face, what God says about us. So what are you saying about your family, about your health, about your future, about your finances, about your job? What are you saying? See, we speak what can be. And God said, you begin to speak what I declare about you and it will be. The Bible is full of men and women making declarations that literally change their life and change their destiny. A little shepherd boy by the name of David is sent by his father with a pizza to deliver a pizza to his brothers who are down at the battle. The Bible says he brought them bread and cheese. Does that sound like a pizza to you? That's what my grandkids want, you know, cheese pizza. So he can bring in the cheese pizza. And when he gets down there, a giant by the name of Goliath is come out from the enemy camp and begins to yell and to taunt the Israelites. And he begins to say, send me somebody to fight. And if I can kill him, you'll be our slaves. If he kills me, we'll be your slaves. Well, when he hears that, Something happens on the inside of him. Now, this is going to date me. It's going to date some of you, too. But how many remember Popeye? Right? And Popeye would go, that's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. When he heard that, something rose up on the inside of him. And he said, it ain't right. In fact, what he said, he said, isn't there a cause? He said, I'll go and fight. His brother heard about it and said, what do you think you're doing? You're just a kid and you've come down here just to see the battle. And with who have you left those few sheep? He just ignores his brother. They take him to the king and the king says, you can't fight him. 
You're just a kid. And he's been a man of war since he was a young man. And David said, I was keeping my father's sheep and a lion came and a bear came and I rose up against them and I killed them. I killed a lion. I killed a bear and I'm going to kill that Philistine. That's what I'm going to do. And the king said, well, go and good luck. (laughs) Basically, really. So David goes down, he grabs those five stones and he's going to see that giant and the giant sees him and that he's young and the Bible says he's ruddy and, and he sees him and he says, do you think I'm a dog? He's got his shepherd staff. He says, you're coming at me with a stick and a stone. He said, I'm going to kill you. And then David said, now this is really important that David said. Now, first of all, realize that when David said Goliath, it probably was just dumbfounded and his mouth hanging open because when you're 10 foot tall, nobody's talked back to you since you were in the third grade. But he said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And today I'm going to kill you. Now, he made that declaration and literally that declaration changed his eternal destiny. It changed his life. He literally went from being a shepherd to becoming the king of Israel because of what he said. That declaration changed his life. David was constantly making declarations. He said, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalms 23, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, notice what he said. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say I camp there. He said, I'm going through. See, because your valley is not your finale. You may be in that low place today, but that's not where you're going to stay. You begin to say what God says about you. And he says, he's going to see you through that valley. He's going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He's going to anoint your head with oil and your cup is going to overflow. In the book of Judges, in your Bible, for about 400 years, the Israelites didn't have a king and they were living in the promised land. But whenever there was an enemy that would oppress them, God would raise up a ruler who would be referred to as a judge and he would deliver the people. Well, at one point, the Midianites are oppressing the children of Israel. Every time there's a harvest, the Midianites are coming in literally by the tens of thousands. There's 130,000 of them there when this takes place. And they are just reaping everything and taking everything. And there's a man by the name of Gideon. And he's hiding in a wine press, threshing some wheat. Now, when you thresh wheat, you're supposed to be on the top of a hill where there's a wind. And you throw up the wheat and the chaff is blown away, and you preserve the, 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 the good. But he's down hiding in a wine press 
because he's afraid of the Midianites, afraid they're going to come. Now it says, and the angel of the Lord sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Oprah. You thought Oprah just got on TV several years ago. No, she'd been around a long time. <laughs> and Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, by the way, the angel of the Lord is referred to by theologians as a Christophany. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. So Jesus is there watching him sitting under a tree. And he says to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, listen, God does not speak to you out of your condition. He speaks to you and calls you to your destiny. He didn't look at where he was. He looked at where he was called to be. And he made a declaration that he was a mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon begins to make some excuses, telling God why he cannot deliver him. First of all, he says, notice, he said, the enemy is here and they're oppressing us. In the miracles we used to hear about, we don't hear about any of them anymore. And by the way, there's one right in front of him. And there's a declaration that he's a mighty man of valor. And he begins to explain. And he says, look, he said, of all the tribes of Israel, Manasseh is the most insignificant tribe. And I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. And in Manasseh, my father's house is the most insignificant. And in my father's house, I am the most insignificant. Basically, what he said was, I am from Barney Fife tribe. And I am Barney Fife. And God, you can use some people, but there's other people you just can't use. And I'm one of those people that you just should not even try to use. Now, here's what the apostle Paul wrote. Not many, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. In other words, what he's saying is that God, in fact, he literally wrote, he said, God chooses the base things and the foolish things. So do not get the idea that because you're in the kingdom of God, you're hot stuff. In fact, the Bible says you're base and you're foolish and you're not wise, you're not mighty and you're not noble. God didn't call you because you were so smart. God called you because he said, if I use them, I'll get all the glory. No, but everybody will know it ain't them. So literally the angel tells him, look, you go and God's going to be with you. And he goes and he literally with 300 men defeats an army of 130,000 men. He became what God said. He became that mighty man of valor. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it will eat its fruit. And this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You know, when, when we speak words that agree with what God says about us, we literally frame our future. We can frame our future. David went from the pasture to the palace. Gideon listened to a declaration about himself that he was a mighty man of valor and it changed everything. When he began to believe and begin to act and to say what God said about him. Now, in the New Testament, in the 11th chapter of Mark, Jesus curses a fig tree. He said, no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the fig tree withers up from its roots. And as they pass by the next day, the disciples say, Jesus, look at that tree that you cursed. And Jesus said to them in Mark 11, verse 22, he said, have faith in God. 
So, so I, want, I want to just mention this again. But what we are supposed to do is we are supposed to be saying what God says about us. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Believe what God says about you. And then Jesus said, in the King James, he says, verily, verily, I say to you. Other translations say, truly, others, surely. Truly, surely, verily, verily. Now, this is Jesus talking, and this is the one thing that we all know about Jesus. Jesus always tells the truth, right? So when he starts a conversation with you and says to you, I am going to tell you the truth. This is what it means. He's going to tell you the truth. But you won't believe it. So we're going to read what Jesus said. And this is what your mind's going to do. Your mind is going to go, yeah, but that won't work for me. There's more to it. Now, that's not right. That's not how things work. But Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, this is what he said, whosoever, who is this going to work for? Whosoever, rich, poor, man, woman, educated, illiterate, this will work for you if you live in a mansion. This will work for you if you live in a cardboard box underneath the overpass on an expressway. This will work for whosoever will say. Whosoever will say. So all you need to do to be disqualified is keep your mouth shut. Because this only works for whosoever will say. In fact, the very first thing that Jesus tells us about faith is it works the same for everybody. Whosoever. But whosoever has to do what? They have to say. That's how faith works. Faith works by whosoever shall say. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, it says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. So there's a believing part and there is a speaking part. But if you just believe and you don't speak, it won't work. According to Jesus, and how many of you think he needs even more about faith than you or me? It works for whosoever will say to this mountain. Now, the problem is this, that most of us don't talk to our mountain. We talk about it. We talk about how much it hurts. We talk about how long we've had it. We talk about how much it costs. We talk about how it runs in the family that my granddad had it and I've got it and my dad had it and my brothers have it. And it just runs in our family. And we talk about our mountain. But Jesus didn't say to talk about it. He said to talk to it. Now, you realize Jesus talked to trees. He talked to storms. He talked to sickness. He talked to disease. He said, you need to speak that mountain. And he said, you'll have whatsoever you say. Whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things you say will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever, King James, he saith. Other translations, he'll have what he says. Now, I want you to listen because really, really, this sounds like just a play on words, but this is not a play on words. Jesus said, you'll have what you say. Most people say what they have. 
In other words, listen, here we do. We give a report. Well, I, this is my problem and that's my problem. And this is what hurts. And this is my problem. This is my situation. And here's my dad and here's that. And here's this. We give a report and we say what we have, but Jesus said, you'll have what you say. So if all you do is say what you have, all you're ever going to get is what you've got. See, you're not just supposed to say what you see. You're supposed to say what you see in God's word about you. It, it, it says that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. His word says that he will heal all your diseases and forgive all of your iniquities. It says that he will renew your youth like the eagles. Do you, I was reading a, a, a Max Licato book this morning and he mentioned in that book that there are over 7,400 promises in God's word. 7,400 promises. And the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. If you're in Christ, every one of them belongs to you. And I don't know what your situation is, but you need to find it. Find out what that situation is. See, you're supposed to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not camp there. The valley is not your finale. Your finale is he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil and your cup overflows. That's your finale. But what we have to do is we need to begin to say what God says about our situation. And if all we ever do is give a report about what's already there, Jesus said, you'll have what you say. That's why this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. We need to begin to say what God says about our situation. You know, a declaration can unlock your destiny. It's exactly what happened to David. Now, the children of Israel have come to the edge of the promised land. They're at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. He says, I want you to go pass through the land. Find out, are the people there, are they strong, are they weak? Are the cities fortified with walls or are they open? What are the people like? What's the fruit like? And you may have seen pictures because it's one of the most popular pictures. It's even on some of the Israeli coins today. They go, they pass through the Valley of Eshkatul and they cut down a cluster of grapes and it is so big, they put it on a pole and two men are carrying this cluster of grapes. These are not the things you buy at Costco. I mean, these are some grapes and they come back and they give the report and they say, Moses, it's like God said, it flow, this land, it flows with milk and honey. And then they begin to give this report and the men who had gone up with Caleb and Joshua said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land through which they had spied, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And they said, we cannot go in. Joshua and Caleb, they quiet the people and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. Now, God had already said, I've given you that land. 
Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. God's with us. We'll overcome. Ten spies. I think it's interesting. Nobody knows any of their names. They said, we can't go up. They're stronger than we are. But God had already said, I've given it to you. And when they said, we can't, this is what God said. They gave a bad report. Anybody here ever given bad reports? See, God says you can, and you say you can't. God says you are, and you say you're not. It's a bad report. Well, they listened to those 10 spies. And the Bible says the people begin to cry and to weep. And they're saying, oh, if we had just died in Egypt, why have you brought us here? Now we're going to die here and our wives and our children are going to become victims. We'd have been better off in Egypt. And they, they, they literally, they, they go and they select a leader to go back to Egypt. And God said, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Every one of you from 20 years old and above who said, we cannot go. You will not go in. You're going to die in the wilderness. But Joshua and Caleb, because they have a different spirit, they're going to go in and take possession. By the way, that different spirit was a spirit of faith. 40 years pass. Two million people die and are buried in a desert. Two are still alive. Joshua and Caleb. And they go in and they take possession. Everybody got exactly what they believed and said. Joshua and Caleb, let us go up at once and take possession. We're able. God's with us. We're able. Everybody else said, no, we can't go. Let me close with this scripture in James. Likewise, look at ships, though they are so great and driven by rough winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the impulse of the helmsman desires. Even so, the tongue. A ship out on the ocean can be caught in a hurricane, but the hurricane will not determine the destination of the ship. The rudder is going to determine where that ship's going to go. No matter how, that wind may move it, but that rudder is just going to keep her going where it's supposed to go. And the Bible says, even so, the tongue. Just like a little rudder steers a ship, your tongue, as small as it is, steers your life. It's not the storm, it's your tongue. It's your tongue. That's why this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Because we need to say about that storm, about the giant, about the valley, we need to say what God says about it. The tongue's a little member. It can boast great things. See how much wood or how great a forest a tiny spark can set ablaze. The tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness set among our members, contaminating and depraving the whole body and setting on fire the wheel of birth, the cycle of nature. Oh, my goodness. Your tongue, you speak things. It can set in motion things that otherwise the wheel of birth, the cycle of man's nature being itself ignited by hell. You know, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians to take the shield of faith with which you quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Many of those darts come out of your mouth. The Bible says the devil tries to set your tongue on fire. 
He tries to get you to say things that are contrary to the will of God and the word of God. But what we do is this book of the law shall not depart out of our mouth. And with our tongue, the Bible says you can bring life or death. There can be provision, healing, peace, deliverance, breakthrough, victory by your tongue. Romans 10 verse eight. But what does faith say? The word is near you. You see, we think, oh, healing, deliverance, provision, whatever it is, it's far away. But the Bible says it's near you. But what does faith say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, even the word of faith, which we preach. You see, you may think that the healing, the deliverance, the victory, the breakthrough, it's far away. But the Bible says it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. There is a miracle in your mouth. There's deliverance in your mouth. There's victory in your mouth. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they, that's us, overcome him. That's the devil and everything he brings by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You see, your testimony in mind needs to be what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. And there is no overcoming victory without the word of your testimony. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.